So if you haven't noticed already, <coughs> excuse me, Pastor Don's not here, so you're stuck with me. I'll do my best to make you miss him. So tonight, a lot of us are going to be watching the Super Bowl. Now, for us watching it, we don't really do a whole lot to prepare for it. Like, yeah, we might analyze it a little bit, probably cook some really unhealthy food, um, and we'll get ready for it in that way. But for the players and coaches who are playing tonight, it's not at all that way. I'm sure in the last two weeks, they have spent countless hours studying film from their opponent. And they want to know every little thing that their opponent does so that they can know what attacks are going to come against them and how to best defend against them. In the same way that uh, the coaches and players study their opponent, today we're going to take a few minutes and look at our opponent, look at how he attacks us, and so that hopefully we can get a good understanding of how we can combat those attacks. Um, so we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the time Satan first attacks humanity. So first of all, let's, let's set up the story. So God creates Adam. He creates the world. Um, and in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, we'll see the situation he puts Adam in. It says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He goes on to describe a little bit more about the garden. Um, but we are going to jump to verse 15 through 17, which says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We could easily look at this and think, man, God was kind of cruel. Why would he create this wonderful, good environment, put Adam there, and then put this source of temptation, this availability to sin right there in front of Adam. But I really, when I think about that, it's really, I think, because God loved Adam and God wanted Adam to love him back. Because if you think about like true agape love, the laying down of your life to love someone else, it requires a choice. God didn't want Adam to choose God simply because God was the only choice. God wanted Adam to choose him because Adam loved him and was willing to give up himself any desires he might have to turn away from God to be with God. And the same thing with us, if we think about it, when we are tempted, when Satan comes at us and attacks us, that's really in some ways God giving us an opportunity to love him. It gives us an opportunity to choose him. So if you think about it, without that choice, it's really not love. It is, we would just be robots because we could only choose God. Um, and then the state that it, that then describes how God created Eve. And in verse 25, it says the state that they were in. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Back before sin came into the world, there was no shame. Nothing to fear 
nothing to hide. They could be fully open with each other and fully open with God. If you think about it, this is like a little baby. It can be naked in front of the whole room. It doesn't care because it's innocent. It doesn't have the knowledge that we have. It's pure. In the same way, Adam and Eve were fine with being fully open with each other and with God because there was nothing to hide. Um, so before we dive into the story, I want to, we're going to take a look at what Satan does to Adam and Eve to get them to sin and some ways that we can fight against that. Um, but before we dig into that, I want to jump over to, to, to Galatians chapter two, because we can derive as many principles as we want, um, to fight against Satan. But any of those efforts that are sourced in our own strength, in our own power, are going to be worthless. They will fail. And so the one main absolute thing we must learn is that our efforts to fight against God, the power, or to fight against Satan, not to fight against God, um, the power we have to overcome sin can only come from God and not from ourselves. So look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives. It is Christ living in me. And until we come to the point of, it is Christ living in us, Christ sourcing our power to overcome temptation. We're going to fail every time. Once we do come to that point where Christ is living in us, then we can apply practical principles to help us flee from sin. So let's jump back to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll go ahead and jump into verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than all beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made, And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat every tree of, let me read that again. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the first thing Satan does is he comes in and he attacks Eve's knowledge. He wants to know how well does Eve actually know God? How well does she actually know God's commands? And he comes with this lie and says, um, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? And he's trying to see how much Eve knows. Let's see what her response is in verse 2. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God ha- has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you think about this, Eve kind of essentially passes the first test. Because Satan comes at her with a lie and she responds with truth of God. God has told us we can eat of the trees, but not this one tree. And so that's good. Um, Satan is often going to come at us with lies about God. He's going to attack us and say, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Is, Is that really the way God is? And the only way we can combat that is through our knowledge of God. How are we going to know the lies that Satan comes at us, unless we know the God who loves us. If you think about it, if you hear a rumor about someone, a bit of gossip, how do you know if it's true or not? The best way you're going to know if it's true is if you know the person that rumor is about. 
the better you know them, the better you're going to distinguish between a truth and a, and a lie about that person. In the same way, when Satan comes at us with a lie, the better we know God, the better we know his word, the better we are going to be able to fight against that temptation. If you think about a perfect example of that is when Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan came after him. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. How does Jesus respond? With scripture. He knew God. He knew scripture and said, man shall not live by bread alone. And he stuck to God's word. With the rest of the temptations, he did the same thing. So that first thing, when Satan comes after our knowledge, we must know God. We must dig into his word. We must walk with God and know him. Now, there is one peculiar peculiar thing about Eve's response. She says, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. And if you go back and look in that verse um, in chapter 2 where God gives the command, he doesn't say anything about not touching the tree. Now, did God say it in a different conversation that's not recorded in Scripture? That's possible. I don't know. So maybe Eve was quoting God here, but it kind of seems like she's adding a little bit to what God said. Now, oftentimes, where where did Eve get that idea? I wonder if maybe Adam and Eve said, you know what, this tree is not good for us to eat, so let's just not touch it. Let's put up that boundary that we're not going to go around it. We're not going to touch it. If we don't touch it, we're not going to eat it. And they set up this boundary. Oftentimes, we do the same thing, and that can be a very good thing. Um, Like, uh, for instance, like on my computer at home, I have accountability software just so that way I can stay away from any sin. My wife sees everything I look at. It's good. Um, that boundary is a good thing. We set up boundaries for a lot of sin. But what we have to understand is that those works that are kind of essentially in the flesh cannot change our heart. The only thing that can change our heart is the spirit of God. And so it's good to have boundaries, but if we put our faith in those boundaries instead of in God, we put ourselves in a very dangerous place. An example of that, again, would be the Pharisees. They set up all these, they had God's laws and said, we don't want to break those laws, so we are going to put this fence around those laws. And then we don't want to cross those fences, so we're going to put more fences and more fences. And they were very good at not crossing those lines. But their hearts were so far from God because they were putting their faith in their commands that they created that they are now attributing to God um, instead of putting their faith in the power of God itself. Um, So let's move on to verse four. Let's see what the next thing is. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So next Satan comes at him with, at her with a straight up lie. He says, you're not going to die. And maybe Satan knew that this was kind of a half truth because when Eve did eventually eat the fruit, she did not instantly drop dead. But not all death is physical. Oftentimes we can see a lie from Satan and we can think it's true based on our experiences. It looks true. But until we see the big picture as God sees it, um, we may never understand how what Satan is saying is true. Um, If you think about it, there's a lot of verses in the Bible saying about how the wicked aren't going to prosper and they're going to um, come to a a poor end. Sometimes we look around us 
And we don't see that. We see the wicked prospering. We see the wicked um, uh, being essentially blessed in what they're doing. Um, However, if we look at it from an eternal perspective, we know what their end is. We know that their end is not to go to heaven, but to hell, and that the righteous will be rewarded in heaven. And so if we only trust in our experiences to determine what's truth and lie, uh, we will be deceived. What we have to understand is that the truth is the truth, even if we don't understand it. Next in verse 5. So he says, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first thing he says is God knows that when you eat it, you're going to be like him. Kind of said, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you um, to have this good thing. He's just holding back this good thing from you. And in a sense, Satan is trying to tell her what God has given you is not enough. You shouldn't be satisfied with it. Don't you want more than what God has given you? If you think about you could come up with a long list of sins that start with this process. Like greed, you start out thinking what the possessions God has given me are not enough. Adultery, the spouse that God has given me is not enough. And you could go on and on with thinking God has, what God has given me is not enough. Which really, if you think about it, God has given, him a, given us himself. Why would we not be satisfied with that? The next thing he says um, is, is you will be, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That really is the same battle that Satan fell with. He wanted to be like God. We struggle with the same thing, don't we? Who is going to make the rules? Is it going to be God or me? Who is going to decide what is truth? Is it going to be God or me? Really, every time we go against God's will, we set ourselves up in the place of God. Um, And Satan is trying to tempt her, don't you want to be like God? It's our desire. We don't want to submit to God. Um, That's our natural desire. We want to have that power. We want to be able to rule ourselves and not submit. The third thing, um, he says, your eyes will be open and you'll know good and evil. If you think about the state that Adam and Eve were in, they were really kind of, by today's standards, immature. They didn't, there was a lot of things about life in the world that they didn't know. And Satan deceives her by saying, don't you want to know what it's like? Don't you want to know what it feels like? Don't you want to know the things that God knows? And really, that's kind of, again, becoming unsatisfied with what the knowledge that God had given her. Um, But it's the desire really for maturity or for knowledge. Um, My mom told me a story about um, some of her cousins. She would go and spend, um, spend time with them. And my mom and her family were kind of like the stereotypical good church family. Um, her cousin's family didn't really have a strong spiritual background. Um, and she would talk about when they would go over, like her cousin would sneak out and go party with her friends, all kinds of stuff. 
And that group of cousins kind of looked down on my mom and her siblings because they were like immature. They didn't, they didn't have the experiences, the exciting experiences of the world. But I actually got to meet some of these cousins at a funeral uh, probably a year or two ago. And even just from a physical standpoint, you could see how hard the alcohol and whatever else had been on their faces, how hard they had become. And I know their stories uh, a little bit of how just the experiences that the world had to offer robbed them of so much that God wanted them to have. Um, so we have to be careful that desire for knowledge of when sin says, don't you want to know what it's like? That that knowledge can be what destroys us. So how do we come against um, these ideas of God has not given us enough? Or we want to be like God. We want to put ourselves in the place of God. Or we want to have that knowledge and that experience. I think a few things that we can gather from scriptures is we have to understand God is good. God says he is good. We have to understand that. And we have to stand in that. We have to understand that God loves us. He is our good father. We have to know that God knows what we need. Um, Jesus talked about this. God knows what we need before we even ask for it. And as it says in Philippians 4.19, it says, God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is looking out for us. Sometimes we get prideful and think we know better than God. But when we do that, we have to understand who God is, that God loves us, he is going to provide for us, and that we don't have to fulfill those desires to be fulfilled and to have what we need because God is going to take care of us. Move on to verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So up to this point, all the temptation and desire had come from something outside of her. Now the temptation is coming from inside of her, from her flesh. Look at the things that it says about this fruit. It says, um, it was good for food. Maybe at this point she was getting hungry. Is it wrong to be hungry? No. That desire is good. That it was pleasant to the eyes. It was beautiful. It looked good. Again, a desire that's not bad in and of itself. It's a God-given desire. And a tree desirable to make one wise. She wanted to gain wisdom. Again, a desire that's not bad. And her desire, the, all these things would have been good except for the fact that God said no. Our flesh, and if you think about Eve, her flesh, before the fall, it was part of what God called very good. Those desires for food, for things that are beautiful, for wisdom, those are good desires that God gave her. But, the flesh still has to die when God says no. We're in a little bit of a different state post-fall. Our flesh is completely corrupt. Paul says, I know that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And so not only do we have hunger and thirst and 
the desire for beauty, our flesh also just straight up wants to rebel against God and against his authority. Um, and in James, it talks about how we have these desires and then those desires, we, from that we get enticed by Satan and then that leads to sin. Um, so we see the temptation going from external really to internal. So how do we battle the flesh? I think one of the first things we have to understand and look at is remind yourself what you were created for. In Proverbs 5, Solomon's telling his son about the perils of adultery. And he goes on for a little while about, you know, don't fall into adultery. This is not good for you. But he doesn't just say run from adultery, run from adultery. He gives an alternative. He then says, um, drink water from your own cistern and rejoice in the wife of your youth. He doesn't say just run from something, but run from something to run to something else. Know what the beauty of the relationship God wants to have for you, have with you. Know the beauty of what God has created you and those desires that aren't, that may not necessarily be bad, but Satan has twisted. Know the beauty of what God has created for you. And when you see that beauty, the muck of sin becomes less attractive. So first of all, understand what God has done for you. I also want to look at, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. Kind of see a parallel of, of the fruit. verse 15 or 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he says, Do not love the world. And then he lists some things that are of the world. The lust of the flesh. What did it say about the fruit? It was good for food. The lust of the eyes. What did it say about the fruit? It was pleasing to the eye. And the pride of life. Again, what did it say about the fruit? It was good for wisdom. So we see kind of a parallel of the fruit here, of the things of the world that um, draw us away from God. He says, don't love that. But again, he's going to say, he's not just going to say, don't do this. He's going to say, do this instead. He says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What is God's will? What is the, the number one commandment Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is love that we talked about earlier? It's a choice. And if you look at the choices God made for us, those choices involved death, going against what felt good, going against what Jesus really wanted at the time when he said, you know what, God, if, if, you can make this crucifixion. If you can take this away, if there's another way, do it. Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross, but he was willing to die to give up his own desires, what felt good to him, in order to love and serve God and to love and serve us. And so once we see the beauty of what God wants, we still have those desires that straight up have to die. It feels like death when we tell our flesh no. Um, 
But that is really what love is, choosing God over what we feel like we want. And that is our motivation is to love God. So Eve is tempted. She sees the fruit. What is the right thing for her to do at this point? Obviously not to eat. I think at this point comes the decision. We get to choose. Are we going to sin? Are we not going to? Now, obviously, as I talked at the beginning, it must, our ability to not choose sin must come from the power of Christ living in us. Um, But I think the best example of what to do at the time of decision is if you look at the life of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife was trying to entice him to sin, what did he do? He got out of there. He fled. That would have been the best thing for Eve to do at this time. But unfortunately, sometimes despite our best efforts, despite our seeking God, we do fall into temptation and we do sin. So let's look at the result of that sin. Um, starting in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were naked, or, or were open, skip the line, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid him, hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And as soon as sin came into the world, that innocence of a baby was gone. And suddenly Adam and Eve felt the need to be covered. And what is our first response when we realize that we've sinned or we've done something wrong? We try and fix it. So they look around, they see what they have at their at hand to cover themselves and they grab some fig leaves and try and make a covering. But when God, they heard God walking in the garden, they knew those fig leaves weren't going to do anything to cover their sin. They felt that shame, that death that came instantly. But their own ability was not able to save them. Let's look. Um, God talks to them and gives them what their punishments are going to be. And let's look in verse 21 to see how they were going to be covered. It says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. In order to be covered, something had to die. It's the same for us. In order for our sins to be covered, something has to die. And we know now that that is the sacrifice that Jesus gave. So sometimes we do sin. But nothing we can do can take care of that. Nothing can wash away those sins in our own power. Our only ability is to turn to God. In 1 John, let's go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. In verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think it's really interesting how it says, 
God is just to forgive us. I used to kind of have this idea that when I sinned and I asked God for forgiveness, he kind of said, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. And I thought it was kind of like when I like forgive somebody, like if my brother does something bad to me and I say, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. Nothing really like there was no real justice there. It was just me and my, you know, good, gracious, loving brother. Um, I'm forgiving my other brother. But that's not the way it really is with God. He doesn't just say, you know, it's cool. Don't worry about it. It's in the past. He doesn't say that. He says he is just. God is a God of justice. There must be a price paid. But we can never pay that price. And so when we sin, the only way God is able to forgive us is to pour out the full extent of his wrath on Jesus on the cross. God does not forgive those sins simply because he's just a nice God and can let it go. He can forgive those sins because the price has been paid. There is nothing we can do. We can fight against sin, and that's a good thing, but eventually we probably will fail because we are weak. Um, But we must understand, as Adam and Eve, we cannot cover our own sin. We can only go to God for strength. So, the one, one thing I want to leave you with and end with is temptation is out there. Yes, it kind of is a chance to love God, but it's not something we have to be afraid of. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians and we'll close here. Chapter 10, which is what we read earlier. Ten verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes when you're tempted by the flesh, it feels like there's no way out. Um, It feels like your only choice is to give in and sin, but look at what God's word said. As we talked about, we have to know God Know his word. God says, you know what? No temptation you face is weird. It's, it's common. Everybody faces it. Or maybe not everybody, but there, it's, it's a common temptation. You are not the first person to be tempted with any sin. Um, but when you are sin, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will always... Um, allow you to escape. He will give you a a way of escape. Um, So there is no temptation that is bigger than God that God cannot handle. And remember, it's Christ living in us to fight that temptation. And so what does that tell us? We don't have to be afraid. There is no fear in love. And if God's living in us, we we don't have to be afraid of temptation. Yeah, it's going to come. It's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. And we're going to have to literally feel like we're dying to resist. But we don't have to be afraid. God is with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. Um, I thank you that there is no temptation that can overcome you. Um, God, I pray that we would First of all, know how beautiful you are and that you would fill us with your love 
and that we would be filled with love for you. Um, God, that that would be our motivation to flee from sin. And that we would see your sacrifice and that that would be our motivation to flee. Um, God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, um, that we would have the power then to flee. God, I thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.